You are listening to the Purpose Church High School Ministry Podcast. Whether this is your first episode or you've heard them all, God has something to say to you. Our vision is to see every student everywhere following Jesus, and we hope this message helps you take your next step in your faith. To learn more about our high school ministry, visit our website, purposechurch.com HSM, and check us out on Instagram at purposehsm. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Excited to be here tonight? Yeah. yeah, Joseph, that's what I'm talking about. I got a question for you, and the question is this Have you ever felt like, have you ever felt like if you had more of something, you would be set? If you had more of something, if you had more of that thing, then you would be completely set. <laughs> I busted. I, I, this, this last two weeks, This last two weeks, I felt to myself that if I had more courage, I would be able to deal with this incredibly scary situation that I've been facing for these last two weeks, okay? For these last two weeks, um, it began uh, three three Tuesday nights ago. Uh, I got home late. It was like 10 or 11 or something, and it's trash night. Is there anyone out there who takes out the trash at their house? Anyone who takes out the trash? Okay, y'all are my heroes now, okay? Y'all are my heroes. So I take out the trash at our house. It's like one of three ways I feel like a man. So I take the trash out. And so the other night, three, three Tuesday nights ago, three Tuesday nights ago, I walk up to my backyard and I've got a trash can. There's no lights on. It's pitch black, okay? And I grab the blue trash can first and I start to wheel it out. And then all of a sudden, like I, I, I lunge away from the trash can because I have felt some furry something over my knuckles, okay? Now, I'm freaking out. I'm freaking out at this point, okay? And I, I literally stand back from the trash can, and my heart is beating, and I'm going crazy. I, I'm losing my mind, and I literally am staring at the trash can. I'm trying to figure out, is there a way that I can convince Sarah, like not telling her this happened to me, convince her to come take the trash out, okay? It's just being real, right? I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. So I just stare at the trash can. I was like, maybe there's something in, maybe like, maybe we threw away a mop or something. I don't know. So I walked back over to the trash can. And I begin to pull it out. And all of a sudden, this rat, this rat works its way out of the trash can, stares me in the eye, and I swear he whispered, I'm going to kill you. Okay, like, he just, it it was so, it was so scary. It was so scary. So he stares at me. I, I run back. I run back. And I have never been that scared in my entire life, okay? I run back. I run upstairs to Sarah. And I'm like, I, I literally, I, I said, Sarah, put your hand on my heart right now, okay? Put your hand on my heart. And it's beating like it's going to explode, okay? It's just beating. I'm like, babe, something just crawled on me. I saw it jump out of the trash can. Like, I don't know what to do, right? So the next morning, I go out there, and I like, I like inch it to the curb, and it's fine, okay? And I'm like, that was scary. Anyway, then the next Tuesday, I get home really late again, Okay? I, this time, this time, I have to take the trash out from like going from my backyard. So I'm from my backyard, I'm trying to push the trash can forward and I check out the trash can first to see like if there's anything there. No action, right? Nothing's going on. So I begin to push the trash can. That little devil, he comes out again. Like no joke, comes out again. This time stares at me and is like, for real, I'm gonna kill you. And then he jumps out starts running at me, okay? And I'm picturing every like zombie horror movie where it's like he is going to like, like this is what I picture, this is what I picture. He's gonna like crawl up 
and just eat my face. Like, it's just going to happen right now. So he, so he starts running at me. I scream. Wake up the whole neighborhood, right? I scream. I run inside again, Sarah. And I'm, I'm like, Sarah, we got to pay one of our high schoolers to help take the trash out because I just can't anymore, right? So, Katie, do you have a question? I will get rid of, I will get rid of that rat for you. you would, uh, so I actually, somebody else already did that. So um, I didn't really know how to get rid of rats. But I remember thinking, I remember thinking, like, if I just had more courage, like, I could feel more like a man. Last Tuesday night, it was late again. I had to take the trash out. I'm telling you guys, I game planned for, like, 10 minutes just staring at that trash can, trying to, like, use, like, a, like a pole to, like, somehow, like, move it over. I, I was just absolutely freaked out. I, I remember feeling like if I, if I just had a, a little bit more courage, I could do this. Have you ever felt like maybe if you had a little bit more athletic skill, Maybe you would have made it to varsity. Maybe, maybe some of you have thought, if I was just a little bit more attractive, I'd have a homecoming date by now. Maybe some of you, maybe some of you, maybe some of you have asked yourself, if I just had, if I just was a little bit more funny, people would notice me. Maybe some of you have thought, Hey, students, real quick, maybe some of you have thought, if I, hadn't, if I hadn't done X, Y, or Z, maybe mom and dad wouldn't have left. Maybe if I was a little bit stronger, I wouldn't be getting bullied right now. Maybe if I had this, then I'd be set. If you've ever felt that way, tonight's for you. Because tonight we're going to read a story about a young man in the Old Testament who definitely wished that he had more, but absolutely didn't. In fact, he had less than everyone else around him. And yet because God was the central part of his life, God used him in an incredible way. And I wonder tonight, students, if we spent less time thinking about what we don't have and instead more time with our eyes fixed on Jesus, we would see him use us and do things in and through us that wouldn't make sense because of all the things we lack, wouldn't make sense apart from the fact that we know Jesus. You see, tonight, students, kind of the big idea is this. Your life in God's hands will be a picture of his power. That if you choose to put your life as it is right now, not when you have more, but right now with all that you lack or all that you feel is insufficient, all your insecurities, all your worries, your story, your life in God's hands will ultimately produce a picture of how powerful and amazing God really is. We're in the middle of a series right now called 66 where we're looking at the story of God. We're looking at the entire Bible, which, as we've said before, is not just one book. In fact, it's 66 different books, but it is one story. The entire Bible is the story of God. And tonight we find ourselves as we are discovering Israel's history. I'm going to show this to you often because I want you guys to be able to understand where we are in the story of the Bible. My hope is at the end of this series, the Bible is a little less confusing for you. And so I want to show you a graphic real quick that shows a little bit of where we are at in the Bible. Guys, if we could throw that up there, the Bible timeline, that would be awesome. So 
we began the series talking about the Garden of Eden where God created Adam and Eve and called them into relationship with himself. But they rebelled and they chose to sin. Then we talked a little bit about Abraham and how God, God said, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son to me. But then he makes his way up to the hill. And in fact, he's expecting, as a lot of scholars would say, he was just totally ready to sacrifice his son because all the other gods in that land required child sacrifice. But it's really important that on that hill, God says, no, I won't make you sacrifice your son. And 3,000 years later, he would say, but instead, I will sacrifice my son for you. We talked last week about Moses, how God called Moses to free the Israelites who had been enslaved by the Egyptians for over 400 years. All of these plagues came to, to show to Egypt that the God of Israel is the one true God. And then tonight, Tonight, we find ourselves at a really interesting place in Israel's history. But I want to, again, show you how do the books kind of fit into this. Let's go to the next slide that shows where the books are at. So the Old Testament, which is all of the stories before Jesus, the Old Testament is broken up into the law, the history, the poetry, and the major and minor prophets. The last few weeks, we talked about the law. In, in your life groups, last Wednesday, you looked at the tabernacle the place where God called his people to worship. You looked at the Ten Commandments and the laws that God gave his people so that they might live in a right relationship with him. Today, we transition from looking at the law to looking at Israel's history as a whole. And again, I wanna show you one last graphic to kind of help you understand where we are going. Let's go to the next graphic real quick. We spent our first few weeks talking about Israel's beginning. The first five books of the Bible are about Israel's beginning. Today, we're going to briefly cover Israel's history. Then we're going to go into Israel's song. Remember, Israel is the group of people that God had called out as his own and said, you are going to be my people. After we study the songs of Israel, we're going to look at these major prophets and these minor prophets, these messengers that God sends out with these incredible, important, life-changing messages for his people. He's trying to win them back because he loves them. And then all of a sudden, history would never be the same when Israel's Messiah, Israel's Savior, that isn't just for Israel, but is for all mankind, shows up on planet Earth. That Jesus, Jesus Christ's death and his resurrection changes absolutely everything. And then we'll look at the church's history, We'll look at the church's letters and ultimately we'll look at what is the future. What does it look like at the very end? And so today we find ourselves in Israel's history. Let me again give you a little bit of context. So Moses leads the people out of Egypt and then Joshua is the next to take over. Joshua takes over and they settle in the promised land. This was the place that God had been preparing for his people. He said, I have a promise and I have a place prepared for you where you will be my people. They have some success for a while, but then all of a sudden, this group of judges, these various judges are raised up to lead the Israelites. The problem with the judges is that they were okay at best. Some of them had, had short spurts of success, but ultimately, ultimately, they dropped the ball and they chose to worship the surrounding gods. You see, Israel was surrounded by many other nations who believed in many other gods, and God always, from the very beginning, called his people to be a light to the world not to be just like the world. 
And you see, that's true for all of us here. That God has located you in the school, in the environment, in the sports team, in the friend circle that you are a part of to be a light to those that are around you, not to be just like those that are around you. And maybe we need to pause there for a second and ask yourself the question, are you a light to those that are around you or are you just like those that are around you? He calls his people to be a light to those that are around them and Israel fails in that way. So much so that the surrounding nations all have different kings. And Israel says, we want a king, we want a king. And God, who is a very emotional God, I mean, sometimes we think of God as just being so distant up in the clouds, not really understanding anything of what's going on. As you read in your bookmarks, you're going to discover a God that gets angry. You're going to discover a God that's jealous. You're going to discover a God that, has, that is very emotionally invested in your life. That your decisions and my decisions please him. They anger him. They cause him to be emotional. And he looks out at his people who are crying out for a king. And he says, I want to be your king. And they say, we don't want you to be our king. We want to have an earthly king like everybody else does. And so a king is born by the name of Saul who ultimately leads his people astray, and then God calls this young man named David, a young, small, shepherd boy, to be the king of Israel. And tonight, during our few moments together, we're going to look at one of the most amazing moments in King David's life. When you go into your life groups, you're going to read about the worst moment in King David's life. But ultimately, King David would become a signpost that would point the people of Israel to their deepest need to have a true king of kings who would never let them down, who would never fail them, and who would ultimately not sacrifice them for his own good, but sacrifice himself for their own good. And so King David becomes a signpost to Jesus. Find me in 1 Samuel chapter 17, 1 Samuel chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. Many of you have heard this story before, but my hope is it feels even more real and authentic and that you take something new away from this. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. The Philistines are the fiercest rivals of Israel in the history of Israel. That during all the stories that you'll read in the Old Testament, the Philistines are some of the most evil, they're some of the most vile. They, they are the enemies of Israel. It was the year 1200 BC, about 200 years before this story takes place, that the Philistines move from the coast and move to a location right next door to Israel. And so for 200 years... These two nations become enemies. Here, here's what you need to know about the Philistines. The Philistines worshipped three gods. The first god they worshipped was Dagon. Dagon was uh, the god of grain. He, he was the, the god of harvest. Well, Dagon had another god, a mistress god, who went by the name Asheroth. And then Asheroth and Dagon produced a god, this is all obviously a myth, and, and within their stories, they produced another god named Baal. And all throughout the Old Testament, you'll hear God 
pleading with his people, do not worship Dagon, do not worship Asheroth, do not worship Baal. And here's why. I want to show you a picture of Baal. This is a statue. This is a statue of the Canaanite god Baal. You see, one of the ways that you pleased Baal was by offering your child as a sacrifice. In, in these pagan religions, there would be these statues of Baal with his arms open. And they would, under his arms, they would produce a fire and they would heat up his hands, this metal god. They would heat up his hands so hot and then they would place children on top of his hands. And that was their sacrifice. That's what they believed Baal wanted. Asherah and Baal and Dagon were also worshipped through prostitution. Women were taken advantage of. Women were treated as property through the worship of these gods. And so Yahweh, the God of Israel, burned with anger. You know why? Because every single one of those babies, every single one of those women were created in the image of God. And to think about them being mistreated like that, angered at a very deep level, Yahweh. I want to show you a picture. Um, I was in Israel a few years ago. We can go to the next picture of uh, the cave. I was in Israel, and this is actually the place where, remember that, that moment in Jesus' ministry where he asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Right? He was at Caesarea Philippi, a place that was like a modern-day Las Vegas. You could do anything with anybody you wanted at any time. That's where this place was, and there was a cave there, and there would have been inside of that cave one of these Baal statues where they would have sacrificed children. I mean, this is real stuff. For hundreds of years, God's anger burned against this nation, against this group of people because of how they were treating others. So the Philistines, they pitched camp at Ephes, Damim, between Soko and Ezekiah. Saul and the Israelites assembled in camp in the valley of Allah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. Verse three, the Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley of Allah between them. I wanna show you another picture. When I was in Israel a few years ago, we actually got to go to this site and I wanna show you these because sometimes we read these stories in the Bible and you just think, it just sounds crazy. Is this stuff even real? Like, was all of this made up? Absolutely not. Archaeologists, people who don't even believe in God, have studied these territories and these regions. And right here is actually the Valley of Allah. And you can see right over here, there's a hill to my left, left and there's a hill to the right. And on either of those sides, the Philistines were on one side and the Israelites were on the other side. And the Valley of Allah was a perfect place for them to battle because they could remain on the hills and nobody would have attacked them on the hill because you would have had to go up the hill and you would have been at a disadvantage. So you waited, you waited till that moment where both armies collided together for battle. So right there in the center is the Valley of Allah. And if you'll notice, if you'll notice, and some of you already know this story, there's a stream that runs right through the middle of the Valley of Allah. Well, let's continue. Verse four. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. What the heck is that? This is what they believe. They believe that Goliath was nine feet 
tall. And some of you are going, that sounds absolutely crazy. Here's what's awesome. And again, I'm sharing these facts with you because I want you to believe these stories and know that they're true. That there were, they, they've found, archaeologists have found Egyptian letters that were describing Canaanite warriors as being seven to nine feet tall warriors. And in fact, archaeologists have also uh, dug up um, in, in rocks and caves, they have found two skeletons of two females, two Canaanite females that were seven feet tall. And so right here when it says that the champion Goliath was six cubits and a span, it's describing a warrior that is nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and he wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man, this is important, he says, choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects. Subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. I mean, literally just calling him out and saying, Hey, Israel, your God doesn't exist. And if he does, he's powerless. There's no way your God could handle our nine foot champion Goliath. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and they were terrified. Well, there's this boy at the background of this story who's not out at war, and his name is David. David's father, Jesse, sends him to the battle line, sends him to the valley of Allah, to the hill where the Israelites are, to check in on his brothers, because the brothers are at war, and David is not. We pick up the story in verse 32. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. So David has heard of what this Philistine has been saying. And even though his brothers don't believe in him, even though Saul doesn't believe in him, for some reason David says God is in this. And you don't need to be afraid anymore. The story gets even crazier. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. So Goliath says, send a man. And Saul is going, you are but a young man. You are a boy. But then David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I mean, just think about this. This is kind of crazy. I went after it and struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair. He's literally talking about a bear and a lion right now who turned on him. He seized his hair. I struck it and I killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. Can we just pause there for a minute? That's wild, right? I was speaking at a camp this summer. I was up at Forest Home. And right as we were checking into our room, they told Sarah and I, they said, hey, just want to let you know, um, there have been a lot of bears this season. Like a lot of bears. And, and they actually broke the door of your room uh, before, uh, like a few weeks ago. And, and they just like to come inside and roam around, right? 
I'm telling you guys, every night we went to bed, I literally kept the door open and my eyes were just locked on the front door because I was like, if a bear comes, I I jump out the window. Like, that's what I got. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not wrestling bears. I'm not wrestling lions. But here is David literally saying, this is what I've done. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. So Saul comes to him and says, okay, if you're going to battle him, let me give you all of my armor. Let me give you everything you need because right now you lack something. Right now you don't have enough. Let me give you all of this stuff to build that confidence in you. And then here's what David responds with. He says, I cannot go in these because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand. How dope is that? Like, that's legit, right? He he, he had Saul putting a sword on him and, like, a spear and, like, all this stuff. And he's like, nah, I just need my sling. You know, that's kind of crazy, right? And he picks up these rocks. I, I got these rocks when I was in Israel. Courtney just asked me, she was like, Wait, are you allowed to take those? And I was like, I don't know. So, um, but these are, these are actual stones from the stream that runs through the valley of Allah. And so this place that we're talking about, this moment in history, this event, this is real. Like, like these are the stones that David would have found in that stream as he's staring at this Philistine champion, this giant. And then something very incredible happens. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and I'll cut off your head. Whoa, right, okay, I'll cut off your head. That's like what the rat said to me. This very day, I will give the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by the sword, this is significant, that it is not by the sword or the spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. So Goliath obviously thinks this is a big joke, David and him begin to square off. He kind of like jukes him. He slings a rock, hits David's or hits Goliath square in the forehead. He falls to the ground and he kills him. This boy who had nothing, who lacked a lot, who felt insufficient, who, who didn't have all the strength in the world, didn't have all the resources in the world that God ends up using him to rewrite history. And it's because this, David didn't have confidence in himself, he had confidence in God. As we wrap up, I don't want you to miss what this story is about. I think there's two ways you can misinterpret this story. You you could read this story and think, oh, okay, 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 so this means every giant in my life is just gonna go away like tonight. Every struggle I have, every challenge I'm facing, every issue going on, oh, oh, like, it's all going to go away. Or, or maybe you think, if I just pray, God will give me whatever I want. If I just pray, if I just say the right thing, God is going to do whatever I want. And that would be to completely miss this story. So here's what I want to wrap up with. What do you do about the giants that are in your life? 
And here's how I want to define a giant in your life. What is it that is standing in the way between you and God? What is standing in the way between you and God? That's your giant. What do you do about that? How do you face your giants? Let me just briefly suggest four ideas. Number one is this. Whatever that giant is in your life that is standing in the way between you and God, here's the first thing I want you to do, and you can fill in your blanks. Here we go. You will see what God sees when you prioritize what God prioritizes. You will see what God sees when you prioritize what God prioritizes. You will see the giant for what it is in your life when you prioritize the thing that God prioritizes. In 1 Samuel 16, verse 18, this is, what, this is how David is described. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well, and he is a fine-looking man. He probably had a jean jacket. So he's like, he's a fine-looking man. And the Lord, this is key, this is key. And the Lord is with him. In the very description that people give about David, they don't just comment about his exterior. They don't just comment about his history. They comment about the centrality of his faith. The fact that his relationship with God is so core and central to who he is. You see, David was 